this is the 15th Sunday after Pentecost. Jesus is coming. And there is a work and a mission that he has given us, that he has called us to do. And we want to be faithful in accomplishing what he has committed to us, his people. Before we begin our study today, looking here in Paul's letter to the Galatians, I have wrestled with this book for 20 hours this week. I have studied over it, I've prayed over it, and I've cried out many times, Holy Spirit, uh, give me understanding. I felt the weight and the impossibility of conveying the heart of the apostle and the spirit with which he wrote this. The scope and the content of this letter. I don't have slides for you this morning, but I'll share with you just from my heart and my spirit. What I have sensed as I have endeavored to understand what the Holy Spirit was saying to the Apostle Paul in this pivotal moment of the church. As we have noted previously, the gospel of Christ for the forgiveness of sins as proclaimed by the apostles and the disciples since the day of Pentecost is now under siege. It is under siege in Jerusalem. It is under siege in Antioch and is also under siege among the newly established churches throughout the southern province of Galatia, where the Apostle Paul and Barnabas had been on their first missionary journey. Believers from the party of the Pharisees are insisting that in order to be fully saved, the Gentiles need to be circumcised according to the Jewish religious law. And they need to be required to obey the law of Moses. In the midst of dealing with the conflict at Antioch that has also involved the Apostle Peter and Barnabas, and preparing to go to Jerusalem, where this matter will be dealt with by the Mother Church and by the leaders there, the Apostle Paul writes an urgent letter to the churches in Galatia. He recounts what happened at Antioch. He rebukes them for so quickly abandoning the grace of the Lord Jesus and for accepting a corrupted gospel. He counters the arguments of those who are undermining the gospel of Christ's grace and presents what it means to truly live a life of faith in Christ, the only life that is compatible with the gospel. A few details before we look into what Paul has written. There's a difference of date and when concerning when Galatians was written. I've often looked at it as being written later with Paul's letter to the Thessalonians being the first ones that were written. But as I've studied this more and as I've looked at what other scholars have said, I, I've come to think that this has to be Paul's first letter. And one of the primary reasons why is that he does not mention in this letter the outcome of the council at Jerusalem, which deals with the heart of this issue, 
and all that is going on in Jerusalem, Antioch, and the churches in Galatia. Never mentions the letter that James and the leaders there dictated, nor the minimal things that they were placing upon the Gentiles, as it is with many other things in Scripture. You can't put all the factors in one neat category or the other. There's some that just don't fit. There's some that concerning the date of Galatians that don't fit in a later date, some aspects that don't fit in an earlier date. But it seems to me as I study what is happening in Acts, and I look at what Paul has written, that the best place for placing it is, as we've noted, Paul is writing this in the midst of all this controversy and the conflict that is taking place with a sense of urgency to the churches at Galatia that the gospel not be undermined and they not be turned away from following Jesus Christ. Within the letter that Paul has written to the Galatians, there are many significant details. Details not only in the content of what he writes, but also in the way that he writes it. There are imperatives and indicatives. For example, when he writes concerning crucified with Christ, a prominent theme in Galatians, sometimes he speaks in the imperative and uses the passive voice. This is something that has been done. But then he will use the same term, rather, in a different tone, the active voice, and he'll present it as an indicative, something that the Galatians need to do. They have been crucified with Christ, but they need to be crucified with Christ. I have been, he said, crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Imperative, passive voice. But then he will speak in the active voice about the need to continue to be crucified, an ongoing work that needs to be present in the life of the believer. There's a very similar emphasis that takes place in Galatians and Romans. Galatians is much shorter than Romans. Galatians is 149 verses. Romans is 433 verses. But Paul addresses theologically many of the same things and a primary emphasis on the work of justification through faith by the grace that has come to us through Jesus Christ. But proportionally, the words faith, justified, grace, and spirit occur more frequently in Galatians. Now, there might be more occurrences in Romans of some of these words, but proportionally, or by ratio, or per capita, if you will, there's a greater preponderance of these terms that are used by the Apostle Paul in this brief letter to the Galatians. Now, you and I could say that Galatians is Romans on steroids. Look at chapter 1. The Apostle Paul begins this letter. He presents the gospel 
in a very concise way, in a nutshell, if you will. Look at his opening words. This letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches in Galatia. And then he gives this concise summary of the gospel. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. With this introduction, the Apostle Paul lays out where he is going to be going as he begins to move through this letter. He begins this letter with not only a concise presentation of the gospel containing certain elements that he is going to build upon, as well as summarize when he gets to the end of this letter. But he also begins by presenting his credentials, and he does so in a no-nonsense way. He declares, Paul, an apostle, and then says, I was not appointed by any group of people or human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. Now that's quite a weighty statement to attach to your credentials. I was appointed by God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And yet Paul is making a statement here. As we have said, there is an urgency with which Paul is writing this letter. From Paul's perspective, everything concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ and the mission that Christ has given his church hangs in the balance. This is a do or die moment. Either the church will go forward in the purposes of God and true to the reason for which God sent Jesus Christ or it will fail at this moment and be derailed. Paul will have a lot of churches and people contending about his credentials as an apostle. But he has no misgivings about his qualifications and his calling. He will go on to say to the, to the Galatians, God set me apart before I was even born. I did things that were unspeakable, but God's grace was upon my life. And I am an apostle because of the grace of God. Paul also adds the weight to the brothers and sisters who are with him in Antioch. I'm not just writing on my own. They are standing with me for the purposes of God and the work of God. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace.
throughout the New Testament, behind the word grace, is this understanding of Christ's merit for our demerit. We often define grace as unmerited favor. And it truly is God's unmerited favor towards us. But what was the source of that unmerited favor? And why is God giving it to us? The source is Christ's merit, a merit that is infinite, a worth that cannot be measured. And why is it given? It is given because of our lack of merit or our demerit because of our sinfulness. Peace is always, first and foremost, in the New Testament and in the epistles, related to the atoning work of Jesus Christ. We understand it this way when Paul wrote to the Galatians and he, or to the Colossians, and he said, God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ deals with our sin and it reconciles us to God, having paid the penalty, removed the condemnation, and thus we are at peace with God, having been reconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ. Paul went on to say, Jesus gave his life for our sins. His substitutionary work. God sent him to die in our place so that we would not pay the penalty for our sins. It has been paid by Jesus who died on the cross for us. Just as God our Father planned. Why? In order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. Never do we find the apostles presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ apart from what is going to happen when God judges the world because of its evilness. When Jesus presented the gospel in summary to Nicodemus, he also included that element. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. As we have noted before in John chapter 3 and verse 36, whoever believes in the son has eternal life but whoever does not believe the wrath of God is already on him and that person will perish because of that wrath. God sent Jesus to atone for our sins so that we might be rescued from this evil world in which we live. Now, with that statement, this evil world in which we live, the Apostle Paul is crafting a paradigm that he is going to build upon as he goes throughout this letter and as he comes to the climax and to the conclusion of what he is writing. We'll see that in just a moment. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. 
With that introduction, Paul launches in to this battle with the Judaizers who have infiltrated the church there with their teaching and with the Galatians. Like a boxer, he comes out swinging, landing punches right and left. He doesn't begin in a very gracious manner. I am astounded that you have so quickly deserted the one, that you have abandoned the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ for another gospel. I say to anyone who preaches another gospel other than the one that you believe, let him be cursed. Let God's eternal condemnation be on him. Paul is not content with saying that just once. He wants to land another blow. I tell you again, even if an angel comes, or we would come, anyone, and preaches another gospel to you, and it's not the gospel of grace through the work of Jesus Christ, I say again, let God's curse be upon that person. Paul continues like this through his letter. His tone will be strong, at times it will be harsh. He will write like the brilliant theologist that he is. He will craft some of his terms in poetry. But at other times, Paul will be hard and severe. You can sense as you read Galatians that Paul is writing out of desperation. The churches in Galatia mean everything to him because he, as he described, gave birth to them. Paul is not one of these charlatans and imposters of today. Paul is one through whom God gives birth to people. He writes to the Colossians and he says, I wrestle with everything that is in me in order to present you perfect in Christ. I need to have you ready to stand before Jesus. I need to try and break through everything else that is in your world that occupies your attention through teaching and preaching and by prayer so that I can capture you for Jesus and shape you so that you are perfect in him. Writing to the Galatians, I am in this place where I feel like I am about to lose you. I don't want to have worked in vain. I don't want my labor to go down the drain and be for nothing. But that is what is happening because you are listening to these other people and you are listening to another gospel. I am laboring again. I am in travail again to give birth to you so that Christ may be formed within you. Paul will plead. He will conjole. He will hurl accusations at the Judaizers. He will be as harsh and crass to say, those who want to do the act of circumcision, I hope they go as far as to emasculate themselves. Paul is defending the gospel of Jesus Christ in what is presently the most critical moment that the church has experienced. 
If he cannot win the hearts of the Galatians, if this battle cannot be won, then everything that Christ came, lived for, and died for will be lost. He speaks of the oneness that is in Christ, that has been achieved, because Christ has done away with separation. He's done away with the distinction between Jew and Gentile. He's done away with the preference of one toward the other or over the other. He's done away with the hostility. He's done away with people being out of the covenant because they weren't Jews. With those not having the promise of God because they weren't part of the descendants of Abraham. Christ has done away with all of that. He's done away with that structure that taught people how sinful they were, but could not make them righteous in the sight of God. He has brought them into true freedom. He has given peace. But if the Galatians go back on the grace of God and they accept what the Judaizers are saying to them, then what Christ came to do will be lost. For Paul, the issue is quite simple. It is faith in the merit and the life of Jesus Christ. The Judaizers have come. On one hand, their message has not been any different. For they are believers in Jesus Christ. And so they have come with the message that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. He is indeed the anointed one. He did indeed die on the cross and God did indeed raise him from the dead. And we have put our faith and our trust in him for the forgiveness of sins. However, in order to be truly saved and for that work to remain in your life, you need to be circumcised according to the law of Moses, which is also the word of God, and which God also said was a covenant that needed to be kept forever. And you also need to live according to the laws that God gave Moses so that you will know what to do. Their reasoning might have gone like this. These are the true words of Scripture. And truthfully, they were saying, we don't have any other words of Scripture than what God gave through the prophets and through Moses. And so we need to follow those. It is only then that we can be sure of our salvation. For the Apostle Paul, though, it's a different matter. Now, once again, at the heart of everything that is going on here that the issue that is first and primary is this issue of being right with God. It is how we live out this effort to be right with God. It is what we think we need to do, how we need to live. This is going to play out in a number of different ways. For the Apostle Paul, there is only one way to live. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself 
before me. For the Judaizers, it is in what you do that makes one righteous in the sight of God and that keeps them in a place where they are truly saved. But the Apostle Paul will come back and say, if righteousness could be obtained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Everything that is happening here in this controversy and that Paul is responding to is deeply applicable to where we are today. Here's a couple of perspectives. First of all, think of contemporary Christianity. Think of the different ways in which it is presented to us. For example, again, the heart of this issue is being right with God. We want to be right with God. But the fact is that we also want to do what we want. And we want to be what we want. And so as you and I look around us today, we find that what we do is rewrite God. We redefine him. This way, God likes anything that we like. He is fine with anything that we decide and determine. He has no particular expectations of us. If anything, we determine his expectations for others in light of our redefinition of him. And that is a very prevailing perspective in our society today. Or it might come down to this. Concerning you and I, no doubt, few if any of us who are here this morning believe that we can be good enough to justify ourselves before God. We truly believe that it is by grace, by the merit of Christ, that we are saved from perishing. And we believe that Christ died for our sins. And we confess him as Savior and Lord. But the question is, and it's the same question in Paul's mind, where does that leave us? Is that the singular point that the Apostle Paul wanted to bring the Galatians to? What he presented there in his opening? Is that the full goal of faith in Christ? If measured by the lives of many people who say they are followers of Christ, then it would, it would seem to appear that that is the end goal, simply believing in Jesus. But the question comes to us, what is the goal of grace? Of justification by faith? Of understanding that nothing less than faith in Christ's infinite merit can make me right with God. To understand what Paul is saying, let's go to the end of his letter. To understand what Paul sees as the goal of the work of Christ and what should transpire in our lives. We look at the end of Paul's letter. And again, I'm using the New Living Translation for this study today. And the Apostle Paul says, As for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that he uses 
Every reference that is made to who Jesus is and the work that he's done. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. Listen, what counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. Once again, we find Paul emphasizing this aspect of crucified. As I mentioned earlier, this is a case where when Paul used it in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It's in the imperative. It's in the passive voice. It's in a work that was done through the work of Christ on the cross. But now when he uses it, it's in the indicative form. It is in the active voice. It is something that must continue to be done. In other words, I must continue to be crucified with Christ. It is the only thing that counts. It is not the rules that count. It is not the things from the law that count. It is not circumcision. It is not anything that is outward and out of my own effort. Notice what he says, and it reads a little bit differently in the NIV. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. The NIV uses the word rule. That live by this rule or this principle. The word that Paul uses here is stoichio. And it's a word that shows up often in this letter. We can also see it depicted elsewhere, such as from the very beginning, when Paul said, to save us out of this present evil world. He will use it and use different variants of it. But it will all come back to the same thing. What principle of life are you living by? Now, for the Judaizers, the principle was that you have a rule of life that you follow. You use the law of Moses in order to live right and be acceptable to God. Paul called that bondage. He also spoke to the Galatians in chapter 4. Twice he spoke to them about the former way in which they live, the former rules of life and principles of life that they followed and lived by. He uses the same picture as he writes to the Ephesians and says, all of us used to be under the God of this world who calls us to live by the ways of this world. Same principle, same idea. For the Apostle Paul, though, it was something completely different. For you and I to understand what the Apostle Paul is coming to, we need to remember that everyone will live by a what's next in their lives. After coming to know Jesus Christ, you will live by a what's next. 
that what's next may be that you truly live a life that is crucified in Christ, as the Apostle Paul presented it. It may be that you live by a list of rules and compare yourself with other people and feel good about yourself because what you are doing, especially in light of what they are doing wrong. But for the Apostle Paul, it was something different. Or it may be that you might lapse back and go back to doing things that you used to do before. It might be that you live the way that the world around you lives. Paul deals with that. But he comes back to this principle that he's established. If grace has truly accomplished the saving work in our lives, then we are going to live by two principles, the crucified life and the spirit-led life, or the new creation life, a life that is enabled by the Holy Spirit. And so the Apostle Paul wants us to understand a couple of things. I draw these two things out of everything that he has said. First of all, let's go back to this thought of our sinfulness and grace. This idea of being crucified to Christ. Why do we come to Christ in the first place? We come because we know we are sinners. We come because we know that the wages of sin is death. We come because we know that apart from Jesus Christ, we will experience eternal punishment for our sins. Why do we come to Jesus Christ? It's because we know that there is no other resort. It is because we know that there is no other option for us. No other way for us to be right with God except through Jesus Christ. It is the only way. In other words, we come to Jesus Christ because we have come to the end of ourselves. And that is what grace and justification is all about. It brings me to the end of myself. It tells me that I have no merit within me whatsoever. And that I can only be right with God through the merit of Jesus Christ. Somehow, though, along the way, many Christians lose that perspective. And they begin to have a sense of merit about themselves. They begin to have a sense of worth about themselves that is not based on the work of Jesus Christ, but is based upon their own ambitions, their own desires. The Apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live. He would write to the Romans and say, there is no good thing within me. The only good that is in me is the good that has come from the presence of Jesus Christ in my life. And the only good that can come out of me is the second principle that he presents it is through the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. For the Apostle Paul, 
there are two kinds of life that is unacceptable. The first is this works-based merit. And the second is this sinful nature-dominated life. And he deals with that in chapter 5. And he presents how the desires that are in us are against the desires of the Holy Spirit. And only by living out the desires of the Holy Spirit, only by keeping in step with him, and he again uses that word that means the principle and the rule, only by keeping in step with the Spirit can we live a life that pleases, with, that pleases God. Because if we do not continue to live out the work of grace that brought us to salvation, and we begin to do the works of our sinful nature, the Apostle Paul declares, I tell you, anyone who does these things has no part in the coming kingdom of God. What counts? It is a life that is founded upon grace. It is a life that continually brings me to the end of myself and causes me to say, I need the grace of God. It is a life that never depends upon my own strength. It is a life that never takes for granted that I can go today, I can go tomorrow without seeking the help of God in living for Jesus Christ. It is the principle of the vine and the branches. I am the vine, you are the branch. You need my life flowing into you. My life flowing into you because without me you can do nothing. Paul will go on to say to the Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is life, joy, peace. It is things like gentleness and kindness. It is self-control. Jesus has said to his disciples, if you remain in me, you will bear fruit. But I tell you, if my Father finds that there is no fruit in your life, that branch that you are will be cut off and cast into the fire. The Apostle Paul is urgent. You need to live a life in Christ. This crucified life that always brings you to the end of yourself. And this spirit-enabled life that having been brought to the end of yourself, you say, Lord, I need your presence and your power leading me and guiding me in every detail of my life so that I can live out your purposes and live for your honor and for your glory. Contrary to what you and I see and hear from many people today, maybe even what we hear and see from many Christians around us, Following Christ is not freedom to be me. Again, following Christ is not freedom to be me. It's freedom from me. To live for Christ. To be like Christ. Through the power and through the work of the Holy Spirit. For the Apostle Paul, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself would say to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must abandon his life. You can't bring your life along. You give it up for my life. Whoever wants to hold on to his life, he will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a crucified life. It's a spirit-enabled life. 
It is you and I saying every day, I live to the end of myself. I don't want me. I want Jesus. It is you and I saying every day, Lord, I need your word. I need to abide in you. I need your Holy Spirit to enable me because without you, I can do nothing. It is Jesus. And it is all about Jesus. This is the gospel of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. May you and I be found living no other way than by this principle. If we do, then it will be evidenced in our lives that we are a new creation and that we are the true people of God. Amen. Amen.